Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket, where we have daily conversations with today's most inspiring healthcare leaders. Today, I have an outstanding guest. His name is Arlen Myers. He's a physician and CEO, the founder of Society of Physician Entrepreneurs, and he's also the Emeritus Professor of ENT at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. Dr. Myers has had a tremendous amount of experience, four decades in the healthcare industry, and he has made his own thumbprint onto the industry with changes and contributions. So what I want to do is uh, flip over the microphone to Arlen to round out that introduction a little bit more and fill in any of the gaps that I may have missed. Welcome to the show, Arlen. Thanks for having me. No, I was just going to say in terms of just filling in some of the blanks, just so people know where I'm coming from, uh, it might be useful to sort of share my story. And um, uh, fundamentally, I, I went through a fairly traditional career path. After college, medical school, I did my residency in ear, nose, and throat surgery at the University of Pennsylvania. Grew up in Philly. I got recruited to the University of Colorado out of my residency. I always sort of knew I wanted to be in academic medicine, so I started my first job in a city and county hospital, Denver General, and did Knife and Gun Club for about five or six years, which was a very useful experience. And then as my career path progressed, uh, I basically wound up back working at the University of Colorado School of Medicine, where I basically spent my entire career. And as part of my climbing the academic ladder, I got involved in bioengineering, specifically biophotonics, and its application or potential application to head and neck cancer, which was sort of my subspecialty between head and neck cancer and facial plastic surgery and reconstructive surgery. So that led to working with a number of people that resulted in us inventing a gadget that optically detects cancer. And that led to commercialization attempts, tech transfer, spin-outs, money, patents, et cetera. And that's kind of where I got the bug. And that experience created certain problems or understandings that since has motivated me to do what I'm doing. One was that the recognition that pretty much every health professional, not just doctors, has a pretty good idea. They just don't know what to do with it. Number two, it's unlikely they will learn what to do with it during their professional training. And number three, we felt there was an opportunity to fill that gap, and that's why we created the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs. That's a great story, Arlen, and you got the bug early on. You identified that there's some issues, and now you you, you developed a platform where physicians can come and and bring their idea to life rather than take it to the grave. Right, and uh, my view, and we can get deeper into the weeds on this, but my view is that success in commercializing a biomedical or a clinical idea really has more to do with what I call the hidden curriculum versus the formal curriculum. In other words, what you learn in class while useful is not, in my view, a critical success factor. What is are resources, networks, mentors, experiential learning, support groups, and a whole host of environmental mindset skills that I think predict success not the letters after your name. Absolutely. And as you think of this 
hidden curriculum, Arlen, what do you think a hot topic you feel should be on every medical leader's agenda today? And how are you guys at the Society for Physician Entrepreneurs addressing it? Well, I believe that the U.S. educational system, including the U.S. medical educational system, is fundamentally flawed and needs to be reformed. And my initiatives, not just with medicine, but also in education, are directed to that end. How would you uh, change it? Well, when it comes to medical school, the struct, I mean, if you just look at it from a standpoint of structure, process, outcomes, and business model, in my view, they're all fundamentally broken and need to be fixed. For example, you know, there's a lot of talk about value-based care and creating value. And I think it's cruel and unusual punishment to expect doctors to create value and be measured by it when we don't teach them how to do it. To me, that's just wrong. I've referred to it as educational malpractice. And the brave new world requires a very different skill set in doctors, yet we persist with some exceptions. There was a recent announcement that a recent medical school has abandoned lectures. And there's a reason for that. And what they're trying to do is to change the process of medical education. Now, how that translates into outcomes and impact is another story, but right. at least they're recognizing a changing world. And the skill set that's required for a physician to thrive requires an entrepreneurial mindset. We can discuss what that means, which means that we have to create entrepreneurial medical schools. We can discuss what that means. But the fundamental notion that you're going to expect someone to do something without training them or educating them how to do it is just fundamentally wrong. For sure. And I think you give it a great analogy, educational malpractice. I recently had a guest, uh, Peter Valenzuela. He's a chief medical officer out of California. He has similar belief as you, Arlen. He was talking about how physicians are not trained in leadership. And you're also covering a, a topic similar to that. I definitely think that the need is out there. What are you doing to reach out to these physicians? What's the best way to get them engaged, do you think? Well, so that's a, a simple question with a fairly complicated answer, so bear with me. Sure. So first of all, just from a conceptual standpoint, I do not believe that I can change people's behavior. So what we're trying to do is identify, so there's about 900,000 practicing physicians in the United States, give or take tens of thousands, but roughly. And my view, based on my experience working with scientists, engineers, doctors, and other health professionals, an additional role that I didn't mention is I run the bioentrepreneurship education program at the University of Colorado, which is a joint program between the business school and the medical campus, particularly in the graduate school. So I work with a lot of business science, engineering, health professional, occasionally a law student, who are interested in learning how to get an idea to a patient. Based on that interaction and based on my being a clinician for 40 years, my view is that about 1% of those people have an entrepreneurial mindset. And the entrepreneurial mindset has to do with your frame of reference and how you see the world. A very simple example is, do you see the world as a problem or an opportunity? Do you see the world as the glass half full or half empty? Do you value the journey instead of the destination? Are you a problem seeker instead of a problem solver? Do you seek to understand? That kind of a mindset is not typically found in scientists, engineers, and doctors. 
And the reason is because that's not how we pick them when we recruit and accept them into medical school in the case of doctors. I did not get into medical school because I was a creative genius or because I was imaginative or because I had an entrepreneurial mindset. I got into medical school because I could memorize a bunch of worthless information and do well on standardized tests. Well, when you, and not only that, once I was accepted, any expression of creativity was squashed like a grape. And we continue to do it. It's not right. Then we give the message, we want you to innovate. You know what? You really don't. Right. It's contradictory. It's definitely contradictory. And question for you then, Arlen. So what are the folks at, what are you and the folks at, at the uh, University of Denver doing differently to provide a solution for this problem? Just a point of clarification. I'm at the University of Colorado. At, Apologies. Thank the you. University of Colorado, Denver, which is confusing because there is a University of Denver, but the few are frequently confused. Got it. The so you're at the University of Colorado. School Correct. of Medicine. That's Fantastic. A, Thanks right. for the correction. Right. In uh, Denver. In yeah. Denver. Yes. So here's a couple of things that we're doing to try to solve this problem. I do not believe that medical schools or graduate medical education programs will teach this to students in my lifetime to any extent. Yes, there are places that are sort of one-offing it, but I don't think that this is going to be extensively diffused or implemented throughout medical education. I fundamentally do not believe that sick care can fix itself from inside. So we have to fix sick care, and I use sick care advisedly because 93% of the U.S. healthcare spend is on taking care of sick people, not preventing illness, wellness, etc. So we have a sick care system that needs to be fundamentally transformed into a healthcare system regardless of how it's funded. To forget the policy, whoever pays for it, we have too much demand with too little supply. The model has to fundamentally change. So in order to accomplish changing sick care to healthcare, we're trying to do a couple of things. In the graduate school, we have many, many different programs that attempt to introduce bioscientists and engineers to bioentrepreneurship. We have a certificate program in bioentrepreneurship. I teach a 16-week, three-credit course in bioentrepreneurship. We have extensive experiential learning opportunities. We have a BEST grant, B-E-S-T, broadening the experience of scientific training from the NIH to offer these programs to graduate students. The fact of the matter is that the demand for STEM science, technology, engineering, and math education, in my view, is a myth. And we can get into why this myth is being perpetuated, but it is. The fact, that, and particularly at the graduate level, where if you get a PhD in molecular biology at the University of Colorado or any other place, I don't care whether it's MIT or Stanford or Colorado or Harvard, the likelihood of your getting a full-time tenure-track research job at an academic institution five years after graduation is less than 10%. So we have roughly 90% of very smart PhDs stuck in postdoc purgatory who don't know how to do anything other than basic science in a lab where the funding is so capricious from the NIH that from year to year, they're insecure. And that funding insecurity creates a bunch of problems. 
So what we've done is try to address that problem and fill the gap in their skill sets to give them the knowledge, skills, and abilities they need to function outside of an academic research institution and create value some other way. I think that's a big differentiator, and kudos to you guys for taking that initiative. Can you give the listeners an example of how you guys have created results, maybe a student success story or something like that? Sure. So roughly, we have about 30 students who do this every year, and the kinds of stories that you hear, for example, they go to work, you know, one of our students went to work for uh, the tech transfer office at the National Cancer Institute. Several of our students have gone to work for startups, whether it's bioscience, med tech, digital health, because Denver has a fairly thriving digital health community and a bioscience community. Several have gone on to create their own company, whether, again, whether it's in uh, biopharma, med tech, digital health, or care delivery. Several students have gone to work for tech transfer offices. Several students have stayed in academic medicine, but used their skills to collaborate with industry and create extramural funding sources outside of traditional R01s or NSF grants or that kind of stuff. So they transfer these skills to other career opportunities that creates value. And could they have been able to do this without what we're doing? Possibly. But the feedback I get from these folks is, thanks a lot. Yeah, and I think that's a really big thing that you guys are doing. What do you think is going to take for other schools to be able to do what you guys are doing at the University of Colorado? When they feel the pain. So in other words, so what I just said about graduate students also applies to doctors. And this movement of physician entrepreneurship. And let me just back up a minute and make sure we're talking about the same thing. Yes. When I say physician entrepreneurship, I do not mean only doctors creating companies. Typically, when you say entrepreneurship, people associate that with creating a company. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about and the way we define entrepreneurship using other language that other people have developed is that entrepreneurship particularly biomedical and clinical entrepreneurship, is the pursuit of opportunity with scarce resources. And the goal is to create user-defined value through the deployment of innovation. Now, one way you can do that is to create a company. But I can give you 25 other ways to do it that has nothing to do with making or building a company. What else would you, like, give me another, a couple other examples. Well, for example, in care delivery innovation, you can create a way, you know, digital health is a good example. You don't necessarily have to create a company. You can come up with an innovative business model. You can come up with an innovative supply chain idea. You can come up with an innovative telecommunications platform that adds patient-defined value to the care delivery process. It doesn't necessarily. It could be an internal care process. For example, if you create a gadget or a platform or an idea that starts the operating room on time at 7.30, 95% of the time, from its present less than 95% of the time, imagine the opportunity cost of that lost time. It's like having the planes take off on time, arrive on time, and get the planes cleaned on time so you can turn them around. It's a huge opportunity leak when operating rooms if you think about what it costs to run an operating room per minute and the opportunity cost that's lost, if you could do one more case a day, 
you could fly an extra plane with 400 people in it, multiplied by the total number of operating rooms in the country times 365. Do the math. That has nothing to do with creating a company. You could create a business model that changes how things are done. Yes. And the example is that another hat that I wear is I'm the chief medical officer for a company called Bridge Health. Okay. Which is based in Denver, and it's a value-based surgical benefits management company. We're changing the model. The model is not fee-for-service to any doctor you want to go to. The model is value-based bundled payment for top to go to top-tier surgeons as measured by a third party. And so you that guys, fundamentally so at, change, at, yeah, that fundamentally changes the model. At Bridge Health, you guys are doing, are you, is Bridge Health uh, an insurance company? It's a third party, no. Well, yes, no. It's a, it's a benefits management company. Got it. Benefits management. Okay. So Got we're it. the intermediary. So if you're a patient employed and you want to go seek value-based surgical care, we work with your employer to make that happen. Got it. Very cool. Very cool. So the customer for Bridge Health would be the employers that are providing potentially self-insured employers that want to provide high value based care to their employees. Correct. Got it. Very cool. That's really interesting. And so through your experience there, that's sort of a, a summary of what you're saying, right? Being an entrepreneur is cutting the fat. It's making sure that you could identify opportunities, refine processes like the OR and hear what you're doing at Bridge Care, Bridge Health. Well, I would take issue with what you just said. Being an entrepreneur is not about cutting the fat. Being a manager is about cutting the fat. Being an entrepreneur is building a different body with no fat. Fair enough. I got it. Yeah. The idea is not to make things better. The idea is to make things obsolete. I'm with you. So as you look to make things obsolete and create new things rather than improve them, tell us a little bit more about potentially a setback that you've had in the, in the process and something that you learned from it. I like to tell people that my box score is two, one, and two. So in other words, two failures, one sort of toss up, not exactly a failure, but, and then a couple of successes. And again, entrepreneurship, physician entrepreneurship comes in different flavors. For example, you could be a small to medium-sized business owner, in other words, a private practitioner. You could be a technopreneur, someone that wants to get a gadget or a drug to market or a digital health idea. You could be an intrapreneur, which means you're an employed physician, which as you know, is rapidly rising but you're trying to act like an entrepreneur within your organization and create user-defined value within the organization. You could be a social entrepreneur where you're involved in social enterprise, like in the case of the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs, it's a 501c3, and I'm trying to improve the social condition as a social entrepreneur in this game playing with soap. You could be a physician investor, you could be an educate, a physician educator entrepreneur, or you could be a service provider. There are many doctors now that have given up clinical medicine and wind up being lawyers, financial planners, marketing people, website developers, et cetera, et cetera. So there's lots of different hats you could wear under the rubric of physician entrepreneur, and I've worn most of them. And in those roles, I've won two, tied one, and lost two. And 
two that I lost had to do with uh, creating medical devices that either just were a bad idea to begin with or didn't, you know, fundamentally, businesses fail for two fundamental reasons. One is you don't create a product that anybody wants to buy. And two, you don't have a viable business model. And in, in both of my failures, those, that was the case. Got it. I could go on. You, know, it's a, you learn more <laughs> from your failures than your success. And I, you could go to my LinkedIn page and see the successes. But the failures, I think, are more useful. And so from those two products, you learn the model that works. And now you've incorporated that into what you teach students at the university so that they have a, a higher chance of, of success. Right. And another way we do that is, is through something called the I-Core model, which oh, you may okay. or may not be familiar with. I'm not. But I-Core stands for Innovation Core. It's a model that was developed by the National Science Foundation and eventually got diffused throughout the federal government. NIH uses it. NIH uses it for their SBIR program. And we use it teaching I-Core methodology to our graduate students and other stakeholders. And fundamentally, it's a way to do lean startup methodology in sick care. So it starts with problem understanding, customer discovery, value proposition design, business model canvas validation, et cetera, et cetera. And we walk people through that process. And then at the end, they either kill the idea or they develop the idea or they launch the idea. And it's just as useful to kill the idea early and often as it is to waste a lot of time on an idea that doesn't have legs. For sure. You've got a lot of hats, Arlen, and you're, it seems like you're spending a lot of time now on building the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs. Can you share an exciting project or focus that you guys are working on today? Yeah, well, we do a lot of fun stuff. Essentially, the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs, as I said, is a 501c3 open collaborative innovation network that focuses on biomedicine and clinical care. Our mission is to help members, and our members are, again, eclectic since it's an open innovation group. So about half are doctors, half are everybody else. And our mission is to help members get their ideas to patients or to help someone who is interested in getting an idea to a patient. So the others could be engineers, they could be investors, they could be service providers, et cetera, et cetera. We provide education, resources, mentors, networks, experience, and social support systems to people who are members. And we do that through an international chapter network. Just think Rotary for biomedical innovation. And we have chapters throughout the United States. And in the future, we'll probably have one in every continent in the world because this is a global problem. Problem being too much demand, not enough supply, poor models, inequitable outcomes that need to be solved through innovation. That's the basic vision. Yeah, for sure. And what would you invite the listeners that are physicians, engineers, and investors, where would you invite them to participate? How do they get involved? So there's two basic ways. One is you go to the website, www.soapnet.org, and you join the organization, which costs $75 a year, which I think most people who are interested in this can do and put that little amount of skin initially in the game. And then more importantly, you go to chapter meetings because that's really where the action is, or you create a chapter in your area, assuming that there's enough 
interest and a large enough community of interest. Then- and soapnet.org listeners, I just wanted to, for a quick search and make sure it's, you type in S-O-P-E-N-E-T, not S-O-A-P, because I got a, a website for ABC, some show. So S-O-P-E-N-E-T.org for you to check that out. Sorry to interrupt you, Arlen. I just wanted to make sure to clarify that for the listeners yeah. when they no, visit. Thanks for the clarification. Um, Absolutely. And of course, doctors are used to SOAP notes, S-O-A-P, so that's a good thing to point out. So it's not S-O-A-P, it's S-O-P-E. Yes. Anyway, so that's what you do. And then another initiative we're involved with is we're, we're having conversations with, for example, the AMA. We're having conversations with the American College of Surgeons. We're having conversations with other specialty societies as to how we, that is the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs, can serve as a resource to their members who are interested in getting an idea to a patient. So we're collaborating with other specialty societies and other organizations that have overlapping missions. I frequently participate and speak at national meetings that have to do with digital health, artificial intelligence, digital health entrepreneurship, med tech entrepreneurship. Basically, how do we engage physicians in the process? which brings us back to what we started talking about in the very beginning. And again, my fundamental assumption and observation is that for too long, the two most important parts of the innovation supply chain have been ignored, the patient and the doctor. And we're changing that. I think that's fantastic. And um, Occam's Rocket listeners, this is just a phenomenal opportunity If you're a change agent and you're looking to make healthcare better, if you're looking to be an entrepreneur, uh, the broader sense of the term, check out soapnet.org site and uh, go to the U.S. chapters. I'm looking at it right now. We've got chapters all over. You got the Capitol chapter, Chicago, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, New York, Orange County, Seattle. I mean, I could go on and on. There's chapters everywhere. And so join one of these chapters, contribute to the conversation, you'll be surprised what you find there. It's amazing what Arlen and his team are doing. I think that take advantage of this opportunity. It's a call to action. And uh, if there's not a chapter where you live, then by all means, Arlen, they could, how can they go about creating one? Yeah, we're happy to help them set all this up. But the bottom line is that if you're interested in creating a chapter, the next step is to send me an email and you can you can get that off the website or my email is arlen.myers at ucdenver.edu and then I'll start you down that road. Fantastic. Really appreciate that. So, you know, Occam's Rocket listeners, this is a, a man that is, is welcoming an introduction to other physicians looking to be entrepreneurs. It is a great opportunity. I had a chance to connect with Arlen while we were at the Denver Health IT Summit and uh, was truly a pleasure. A very dynamic guy that I think you guys and gals will really enjoy uh, collaborating with. And so, Arlen, this is the part of the show where I like to do a simulation. It's like a lightning round. We're going to build a one-on-one course on being successful in medicine. And so I'd like to write out the syllabus with you with some lightning round questions. There's four of them. And then after that, I'll ask for your favorite book to recommend to the listeners. You ready for that? Yep. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Measure them. And we're not doing that now. In some respects, there's a lot of organizations that are attempting to do it, but An example that I'm involved with is uh, there's no reliable way to measure the outcomes in freestanding ambulatory surgery centers. 
So if you really want to, you get what you measure, and we need to do a much better job of creating valid, reliable, agreed upon outcome measures for all sorts of things, not just quality, but experience, basically of value. What are the value factors that we need to measure and how much do they cost? So we need to do a much better job of measuring the numerator and we need to do a much better job of measuring the denominator, which is cost, that is cost accounting. For sure. What would you say one of the biggest mistakes or pitfalls to avoid? In physician entrepreneurship? Yes. Thinking that the letters after your name will get you where you want to go as an entrepreneur. In other words, the knowledge, skills, and abilities that got you to where you are as a doctor will not get you to where you need to go as an entrepreneur. My friend Jeff Hausfeld, who's a co-founder of SOAP, likes to describe it as coming down off the mountain. You got to come down to the valley and be humble enough. And that's hard for doctors to accept the fact that you don't know what you don't know. That's a great message, Arlen. So how do you stay relevant despite constant change? You have to develop an entrepreneurial habits. And one of the entrepreneurial habits is to build and perfect your environmental radar and scanning. And again, the clinical mindset and the doctor mindset is so smokestacked that most doctors do not develop robust internal and external networks, and they do not connect to environments and ecosystems outside of sick care. So I tell people, if you want to really understand where innovation is going to come from, you're not going to find that at a medical meeting. You're going to find it at an aerospace meeting. You're going to find it at the consumer electronics show. You're going to find it at Google. You're not going to find it in sick care. So you have to maintain your environmental scan apparatus and perfect it. What's one area of focus that should drive all else in your company or in your personal entrepreneurial focus? User-defined value. What you think is valuable is absolutely irrelevant. I think that's huge. You need to be a problem seeker, not a problem solver. You need to do a better job of understanding your customer and what they want and the job they're hiring you to do. If you don't do that, you're going to fail. Powerful. And what would you say the book that you recommend our listeners? I have a couple of favorites, even though it's 25, 30 years old now. All the old Drucker stuff is really good. His book on innovation and entrepreneurship is really good. You know, there's a gazillion business press books out there, you know, pick your favorite. But I think uh, Lean Startup Methodology books. And again, recently, the stuff about the fourth industrial revolution, artificial intelligence, robotics, clash and how that impacts dynamic socioeconomic change. Again, all those things are sort of painting a picture of the future that presents the opportunity. If you had to sum up one, though, which one would you say this is the one that is a must read? Gee, that's a hard question because I read a lot of different ones, Um, (laughs) but it's really kind of hard to say. I actually like that going back to the In Search of Excellence books. I like going back to these books that have been around for a while. And because the message that they gave many, many years ago still apply. So I like Good to Great. I like Search of Excellence. I like the dysfunctions of teams. I like stuff on leadership and entrepreneurship development, those kinds of things. Got it. 
Fantastic. So there, there you go, Outcomes Rocket listeners. You've got to just be a voracious reader and, and try the search of excellence books like Good to Great. So before we conclude, Arlen, I just really want to say thanks for your thoughts and, and just being on the show. What would you say one closing thought is for our listeners and what's the best place that they could get a hold of you? My closing thought is that our systems are badly dysfunctional. And I work at a place where the three most change-resistant industries coalesce, government, higher ed, and sick care. It's a big challenge, but unless physicians become part of the solution, they are the problem. And that would be the message. And there are many, many, many different ways to get involved, to make change, to learn these skills, to change your mindset, and to be part of the solution. Whining is not going to get us there. What would you say the best place for the listeners to get a hold of you? Again, either go to the website at www.sopenet.org, or you can just go to my LinkedIn profile and you'll see all kinds of ways to get in touch with me. Or you can send me an email to arlen, A-R-L-E-N dot Myers at UC Denver, University of Colorado Denver dot edu. Fantastic. Well, Arlen, thank you so much for your time. And Outcomes Rocket listeners, you could get all of the resources that we discussed, including links to the projects that Arlen's working on, the stuff at soapnet.org. You could find all those under the show notes for Arlen's page. You could just go to outcomesrocket.com slash Arlen, A-R-L-E-N, and you'll find all of that there in a handy quick notes version. So Arlen, just want to say thank you once again for being on the show and looking forward to seeing you make an impact here with, with the things that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 